And there we go. What you gonna do about me? Once again, it's time for Poets of the East. As always, we try to bring you the very best poets you can hear anywhere. And even more, we try to do one more thing besides bring you some of the best poets across the globe. We also Take the time to talk to them a little bit, to find out how they get started as writers. What was it that brings them to this wonderful, amazing world of poetry where the voice of the heart is what we hear palpably? But without any further ado, I want to bring you my brother, Poets of the East, co-producer, Mr. Misha Dandur. Misha, welcome. With any luck at all, the technical bugs will be driven from his computer connection, and uh, he should be able to talk to us in just a minute. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm going to talk. Hello? Are you there, buddy? Um, I'm here. Hi. I'm very happy to join Wonderful. So happy to hear you. I know you had a little computer trouble earlier, and by gum, sir, you've managed to overwhelm the flaws in the system, and we bring you here today. 
So if um, if you have some thoughts to share with us, uh, I'm going to be bringing up the interview with Special K, uh, Kimberly, a just amazing poet with with I swear to God, an ocean full of heart, uh, a wonderful woman. Do you uh, you have an acquaintance with uh, Special K's work, sir? Well, for me, it is equivalent to uh, what I would call uh, the American performative tradition, if it were about America. But as we know, all of them, it is not only about America. It is about synthesizing a lot of traditions, about of uh, uh, connections uh, between the classical poetry and the oral tradition of uh, of uh, um, of very uh, of very much uh, poetical and uh, uh, and uh, initial um, and initial traditions uh, of poetry uh, belonging to the so-called cult and natural, national, popular poetry. I mean, it is a very unique style which one couldn't eventually explain before listening to it. And I think it was a very good idea to invite her uh, to this uh, very edition of the Poets of the East. Okay, then. With that as a very good launching point, let us bring you Special K with her special voice. Hello there. Hello, hello. How are you? Very good, very good. I'm so happy we could finally connect. First, thank you so much for making time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I have the great good fortune to bring a really charming, wonderful poet to you tonight, Miss Kimberly J., also known as Performing as Special K. And she's special in so many ways. We're going to find out a little bit about that. Special K, tell me, when did you start writing? Oh my goodness, I I started writing like I think when I was in second, first or second grade. Um, you know, just writing little made-up stories, and then it kind of progressed. I remember I was in high school, and I actually wrote a like a book about all my high school and all the people in high school. Um, so I want to say ninth grade was when I started writing poetry. Okay. Ninth or tenth grade, and um, yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Mo- so many of us have started very young like that. And there's a certain point in our young lives when we say, you know, I really like this. Uh, when when did you really say, this is not just something I do from time to time, but this is something you really wanted to do? <laughs> so um, that just was fairly recently, actually. I want to say that was five five or six years ago where that's wonderful (laughs) that's wonderful hey life is complicated i i i often will say to my my interviewees you know life is complicated making a living having friends and family all that's really complicated it's often a life and a half just doing that oh yeah now we have to add in work and then some of us are crazy enough to also add in the arts music, whatever. So I, I think it's a special person that spends some time creating artwork, especially artwork to share. 
because we all know there's plenty of poets sitting there going, da, 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 but not really sharing that. So I, I want to thank you and congratulate you for being one of those poets that says, this is something I want to share. That's that's really wonderful, Special K. Oh, I hope, thank you. <laughs> I hope you give yourself credit for that, okay? Because, okay. you know, okay. <laughs> there's an awful lot of poets that kind of wonder and should they and this and that or is it good enough and your stuff is good let me be among the many among the many who tell you your stuff is awesome oh thank you thank you (laughs) okay let me ask you another question did you um did you have support from your folks uh or uh, I know in my case, my parents, the last thing in the world they wanted me to do is do anything in the art. They thought it was crazy. And my father had some very strong opinions, <laughs> but <laughs> I did it anyway. So tell me, were, yeah. were your folks supportive? Oh, so when I was back when I was in school, they were supportive of, oh, she's a great writer and you should go to school and be a journalist or a teacher, there um, there was never any, you should be a poet. Um, <laughs> like, like, no. Not that, that always was, the best career was, plan. Right, right. They, they definitely did not see starving artists in my future. Um, and then, so five or six years ago, when I started doing this, I didn't really tell anybody. I just, it just happened by accident. One of my friends, one of my very good friends kept saying, you know, you should, because I always wrote. I, life Writing just helps me get through life. But five or six years ago, um, one of my friends who is a poet and a an event planner and promoter was like, you should really do this. You need to do this. And after about two or three months of him saying to me over and over again, you should do this, you should do this. I was like, okay. I still didn't tell anybody, so it was just something that I did for fun. Um, and then it wasn't until the last three years, two and a half, three years, that my family started taking notice. And by family, I don't mean, like, my inside family um, because they're very supportive. But I mean, like, my mom and my grandparents, they they, they were kind of taking notice and like, oh, you're you're really good. Okay. And then, um, and then when I started getting feature spots and getting paid, even though it was just a, a little bit, you know, getting paid for, for for performing, they they stood up and they're like, oh, okay, you're you're okay, okay, you you can do this. They, for them though, it was still a hobby. But then this last year, when COVID happened, and I was able to perform outside of the United States. And then I also applied to be the first, the first poet laureate of my city. So not the first black, not the first woman, but the first. I didn't get it, but I applied. Good for you. And so when I did that, and then I also got to perform um, for the NAACP. And all of this happened kind of at the same time. All of a sudden, they are now super, super supportive. They're, where, what are you doing this week? Are you performing anywhere? Um, how, what's, they haven't shown up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't shown up anywhere, but now it's, it's very supportive. And, oh, did you perform? And make sure you rest your voice. You sound a little hoarse. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Oh, nice. Right. I had, 
I had a very funny experience. The first really good showcase I got uh, was uh, I was uh, invited to perform at the Miami Book Fair. It's a huge, huge book fair. It lasts over a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They bring in international authors. And I was, I was invited to bring my poetry group. I had a, a poetry group called Precision Poets and uh, invited to perform on the main stage. So I was, I was pleased as punch. I invited my folks who, as I said, were not uh, totally thrilled by any of this stuff. And my father says to me, you know, I just bought a new camera. I'll bring it and, and record your performance. And I thought, wow, you know, I, I, was, I was very surprised, right? Holy cow, you know, what a turn of events. So afterwards, I get off the stage and I said, so, I mean, I, we did probably 45 minutes. You know, it was a nice mm-hmm. show. So I said, wow, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you shot. And he goes, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I just shot it for a he, he recorded about a minute. <laughs> I said, well, that was good. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I needed the humility hit because I was feeling pretty good right then. Right, right. Well, that's that's like my kids. Um, I tell anybody, I'm like, if if ever I feel that I'm getting a little bit too big for my britches or anything like that, um, or that I have made it in any sense of the word, I have my my wonderful children, and and my significant other and my mother to all just bring me crashing back down to earth. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I get it. I, I totally get it. So next thing I want to ask you is um, when, you know, we, we are all a little tentative when we first start performing. Um, when did you know you were good? Did you have, have you got to that point? Do you know you do this well? Yes and no. Okay. So that's, that's a good answer. Um, Sounds totally honest. I don't, I don't remember when I was like, okay, I'm good at this. I just, there are days, there are performances where I'm like, I did the thing. Like, that was awesome. And then there are other times, even when people tell me, say to me, oh, you did really good. That was really good. And, and to me, I'm just like, I have you lost your mind? Do you, do you, did you did you hear the same crapola that I heard? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> so, well, good. Yeah. good. Well, my dear, we have been talking 10 minutes, and we have not yet heard some of the fine poetry of Special K. I think it's about time. Well, all righty then. I think that I am going to do, because we've been talking about poetry, I am going to do the piece called Poetry Is. Wonderful. All right. Poetry is the way a woman snuggles into the spoon of her lover's embrace while she sleeps. It is the darkness that surrounds her, though she be in a room full of people. Poetry is oxygen. Sustaining life, releasing carbon dioxide, its words flowing free and healing all the damage and destruction from these toxins she's been swallowing. Poetry is the cure to what ails you, minus 
visits to the doctor, co-pays, and time wasted. Poetry is a road not paved in hate. It is goodness and mercy. It is a table prepared before thine enemies. Poetry is fluid. A never-ending motion, its depth deeper than any ocean. Poetry can handle all this emotion. It is love. It is anger. The green monster. The one-eyed, one-horned, purple people eater. Poetry is the ability to believe. One-eyed, one-horned, purple people eaters do exist. Poetry is this. A sweet blessedness that cannot be taken away, regardless of what anyone has to say. It is night turning into day, knowing morning won't last always. Dreariness, clouds, tears, and rain will fade, but poetry will forever remain. It is a safety net as you trapeze across the sky, daring you to explore beyond the limits you can Poetry is never satisfied with the cautionary tales of others and always asking why. Poetry is a mother rocking you to sleep and encouraging your dreams to become a reality. Poetry is a father. Man, maybe that's something we don't always see. Or perhaps it's a gift taken way too soon, but with its broad shoulders, we assume it to be strong enough to carry the weight of us and all our world. But that is just a presumption, cultivated from the thoughts of our imagination. Poetry is whatever you need it to be, a prostitute in the street with whom you can be free. Poetry is Jesus drawing all men unto thee from a hill called Calvary. Poetry is waking up to greet the dawn, unraveling from your covered cocoon. Poetry makes you weak in the knees and will have grown men's wounds. It is your baby mama's cousin's best friend on her daddy's side. You know the one. It'll spread you wide open, then turn around and give you a place to hide. Poetry is addiction. It'll have you fiending for snaps and claps, always taking you back to your first time. Poetry is yours. It is mine. It is ours. So puff, puff, pass the poet's treat. Poetry is not neat. It is messy and unconfined. Though sometimes refined like aged wine. Pretend with me for a moment that poetry is sophistication, a justification to which you cannot give an explanation. No need to dry your eyes or hide your tears. Poetry is ohana. And we're all family here, dear. So take the blinders off and you will see. Poetry is we. Poetry is you. Poetry is me. Can't you see? Special K is poetry. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so Thank you. much. Thank that you. was excellent. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask, where where are you in space time? Um, I am, I'm in, on the East coast of the, the state. So I'm in Richmond, okay. Virginia. Oh, how nice. Well, we're I'm almost neighbors. To, right, right. Now, see, oh. I'm trying to become everyone's traveling poet though. So oh, cool. Try. Cool. <laughs> Listen, that's wonderful. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, 
I was wondering, you have an interesting accent. Sometimes it shows, sometimes it's not. Where Where is the accent from, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I have no idea. So I was raised, like, in D.C. area. Okay. Um, so a touch like, of southern. Yes. So I live the south now. And then also um, my family is from New Orleans. So I think oh, it's like the, the New Orleans cool. and cool. The, the southern kind of all mixing together. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely mix. It's very, very, very pretty. Um, some people, you. you know, their their accent is more when they're performing or less when they're performing. Um, I, I'm always intrigued by voicings and how they go. I have one of those crazy ears. Um, I did radio comedy for a while, and I, I pick up on accents a lot. And it's it's almost gotten me into trouble sometimes because when I work with, with Indians from the subcontinent, a lot of times I'll pick up an Indian accent, and they'll start talking like I'm from India. And then I work with some Europeans for a while, and I picked up a, a Polish accent for a while. I'm like, no, listen, I'm not trying to insult you. It's just what my head does. I'm, I'm really sorry. So I, just I do the to, same thing. So I just like, want I to say it. I, I really like the, the accent that just kind of floats in from time to time. Um, another thing I like to ask is, is there a particular kind of uh, subject that you like to address? Uh, some people write about politics, some don't, some write about, you know, any number of things. Are you a social commenter or are you more a person-to-person relationship kind of poet or, or does that not really apply? All of the above. Okay. I am a life poet. So if it happens in life, whether it is politics or what things that are going on in our country, or even the roses are red type of variety. It's just whatever I'm feeling on that day. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now, another thing I want I like to ask is some people uh, will, you know, they, they get, it's, it's a picture that comes first. Others take a phrase, and that's their launching point. Um, do you have one of those? Is there, is there a, t- a typical, like, you hear the word, and that brings you to a rhyme, or how, how does you, how do your poems come to you? In the shower. Ah, um, <laughs> cool, cool. Sometimes I will just hear a phrase, and I'll write it down. Other times I'll just be thinking about whatever. And then, but seriously, it usually happens when I'm in a rush, and I have to go do something else, that a poem will come into my head and just demand to be birthed. Like, <laughs> I hear you. So I, um, I hear you. I carry a recorder around with me Excellent. everywhere I go. I have pen and paper always with me. So if I'm driving, I can record myself talking it out. If I'm anywhere and like not driving, I can pull out the paper and start writing. Um, that's, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> cool. Cool. I do want to ask one more personal question, if it's okay. Um, How many children do you have? So I have five. I have three that are naturally mine. Um, And then I adopted one. So I have 23, 22, 21. And then I have uh, 16. And then I have a five-year-old. 
And the five-year-old is actually my grandson, uh-huh. but he has lived with me um, his entire, well, except for the first year of his life, he's lived with me. So I'm uh-huh. mom. I'm mom and I'm Mimi. And I mean, if anybody has ever heard um, my piece um, that, that explains about like mental health with my, with my daughter, that, that was, that's why he lives with me. So <laughs> I have five. <laughs> that's nice. I have I have three and they they're all grown up and flown away. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it it happens eventually. It happens to all of them. Um, I was gonna ask, can I hear? Can we have another poem? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna do words. It's it's a love story. Okay. A few weeks ago, conversation. But if I'm being honest, it was more like a confrontation. See, you kept asking and demanding of me, what did I get from being on this guest stage? And every answer I gave just wasn't good enough and didn't seem to satisfy your curiosity. And I began to wonder if this were the place where you determined if I was qualified to share the light with the likes of you. And I went home that night and I knew. I knew that I had to break up with words because I didn't sign up to be your player number two in this unforeseen game with its ever-changing rules. But come morning's light, I realized I could stop breathing easier than I could walk away from words. See, I fell in love with words before I ever even knew what love was and words and I have a bond that goes way back. In fact, my mama said I never stopped talking once (laughs) I learned how. (laughs) That's the kind of relationship words and I have. And words teaches me things like how to be angry eloquently and beautiful before they ever even see me coming. Words taught me how to wield this double-edged sword and how to hold my shield just right. Careful now, not too high, because you got to remember to protect the important parts, like your heart, because sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, oh, they'll hurt you. Words taught me that love is a verb in action, and it was words who introduced me to paper and pen. And where words was my best friend, huh, paper and pen, my lover. And we all live together in a world where threesomes do exist. And in fact, it's quite the normal thing to do. Words doesn't sugarcoat things. And words gives it to me straight. But words lets me pretend that I am a princess and I live in a castle and my prince charming waits somewhere just beyond the gate but at the end of the day when I am still lonely words is there waiting for me words wait patiently and when words is choked by tears before words has a chance to speak words does not get angry words knows Words will breathe again. Words says things to me like, why are you crying, girl? 
pick your head up, girl. They are no better than you, girl. You are no doormat, girl. <laughs> Words. Sometimes I wonder if paper and pen get jealous of this thing that words and I have become because I fell in love with words before I ever even understood what love was. And late at night, when words and I stare up at the same nighttime sky, wishing we may, wishing we might have whatever wish we wish on this night, I wish. For words fallen in love with me before words knew what love was. Beautiful, my dear. Beautiful. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you so much. Let me ask you one more question and then we have to go. Um, okay. If, if a young poet came up to you and said, oh, my God, how do you do that? I want to do this, but I'm, I don't know how, how, how do they, what do you tell them how to begin? Just start. Whether it's starting to write or whether it's starting to just go to open mic, just start. And once you start, the momentum is there. So then you, it's like driving a car. You, you, you get it out of park. And once you're moving, then you can move forward. And it's so much easier to move forward when you're already moving so just start well thank you so much Kimberly just beautiful you're such a wonderful poet uh thank you for thank sharing you. some time with us thank and you so much for having me my pleasure and I look forward to hearing you in in many 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 places all around the globe absolutely you too thank you okay bye-bye dear bye thanks a lot mm -hmm. Okay, Misha, pretty awesome stuff, huh? Yes, and I think everything she managed, everything she proved, confirms uh, my uh, suppose that she belongs more to the uh, performative art than to poetry, or actually that she belongs equally to both of them. I was very, uh, very curious about the, it was no time to ask about it, but I was very curious about the narrative dimension of her, of her or her poems, because what she presented, what she recited, had a very strong narrative of a story. And uh, according to what she told about her own life, I think narrativity is one of the that one of the important essential dimensions of her poetry, but it was no time to ask about it. I promised to make an interview with her and to start with very with this very important, from my point of view, dimension of her creativity. Congratulations to, for inviting God here, dear Rick. Wonderful. Next up is a most interesting poet, uh, a gentleman who I had met. Uh, performing on uh, some of the British uh, poetic uh, performances. And uh, he has a very interesting voice and just 
you know, a very, very delightful narrative. Uh, a man with, I think, what has to be a very interesting backstory. Uh, we had a chance to talk about it a little bit. And, of course, I'm speaking of uh, Generalissimo Franco. Uh, and uh, I'll get into his uh, nom de plume a little bit during our interview. Just an amazing poet. Uh, very colorful, very eloquent. And uh, any, uh, have you had a chance to hear any of his work, uh, Misha? I'm very curious about, well, I have a lot to say about it, but I'm very curious about what he says, what he has to say about himself. Because, yes, you are very right. The narrativity, just just like in the case of our uh, previous poet, is very important, but in a very different dimension. And I would say the historical one. But let him speak for himself, and then we will comment afterward, because I don't want to hazard. Thank you very much. Let's hear it for Generalissimo Franco. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the great good fortune to bring you a very talented, very funny poet, a man of great depth, Mr. Brian Franco, also known as, as stage name as Generalissimo Franco. Generalissimo, welcome, sir. Welcome to Poets of the East. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful this morning. Good, good, good. A lovely uh, overcast day in Maine, and uh, finally cooled down after some rain yesterday. So, so are, are you a coastal Maine citizen, or are you a mountainous westernly uh, Maine? I live in Brunswick, which is on the coast. Ah. Um, I'm not on the water, but um, I'm not far from it. Okay. What, it's, a, it's a beautiful state. I had a chance to do some work in Portland uh, for a few months. Generalissimo, my first question has to be, and I always ask this of all my poets, some of us uh, are, are basically dragooned into the poetry business. We, we have a muse that, you know, taps her iron toe and says, you've got to do this. Uh, some of us come early. Some of us come late. Some come from joy. Others <laughs> are driven, driven, my friend. So let me ask you, when did you start writing? When did you start thinking of yourself as a writer? I was living in New York City in the mid-90s. It was, uh, it was 95. And um, I was I went through my first, I, I'm chemically depressed. Um, I went through my first serious depressive episode. It's kind of late in life, actually. I was only like 28 or 29. I had basically isolated myself in my apartment for about two weeks. The only thing I did was go to the grocery store. I had no contact with any friends or anyone I wasn't answering the phone. General depression stuff, I was, I basically just started crying for no reason at all. And I just was feeling altogether bad. And after about two weeks or so, I came out, started coming out of it. And uh, one of the first things I decided to do was go to my favorite coffee house, which is across from the Flatiron Building. And I go in, I go to my coffee drink. And this was a great place. It was a giant living room. There were no tables and chairs. There was just a whole bunch of old antique sofas and leather club chairs all around this huge former retail space. It had like large fluted um, Art Deco columns. It was just a wonderful place. And I go and I sit down on a couch and I brought a newspaper with me. And then I guess it's about 6 p.m. or so. And there's a stage at the very back of the room and I didn't even know it was there. And this woman goes up on the stage and starts saying that, that this that there was going to be a poetry reading and there was going to be a, a feature feature group of slam poets and and I said oh crap I don't know if I want to be here for poetry you know I just wanted to read my 
newspaper and read it myself. And and so the first poet gets up on the stage and reads something, and I'm kind of enwrapped by it, you know, and the, the next and the next, and I'm just sort of like, I like this. And then there was this all-female troupe of poets who were like um, social workers and stuff, so they did stuff in, about, I don't know, in the voice of inner-city clients and stuff like that. It was really very interesting, and I'm, I didn't know what sound poetry was. I wouldn't know that either. And it was just incredible. It was through my mind. So I'm going home. And as I'm walking home, walking to the bus stop, waiting for, all of a sudden, all this poetry starts spilling out of my ears. It's like, the brain is, has been filled with this, and you didn't even know it. And I'm thinking things up, and I'm, I'm writing, I'm not just writing poems, I'm writing songs. I don't sing, I have a horrible. Get home, and I was on my computer probably till three in the morning, and I thought it was wonderful. Started, and I went back the next week to the to the same open mic. Yeah, and then I just started going to other open mics, and I, I ended up moving away from New York at the end of that year, back to Alabama. Wait, before you go on to the next thing, I got to ask you. So, did you join them on the stage reciting some of your own work? I called up the coffee house to find out, you know, how the open mic worked, and they said you can just bring in and you sign up on a sheet. And so I did. I, I read a couple of poems. And then I started looking for other little open mics, and they were all over the place. I even went to one that was in an, in an abandoned squat building. <laughs> it was very interesting in its own way. <laughs> I understand that Noah did one of those in a, uh, in a squat building. Oh, I, New, York, New York has all types of things in squat buildings. And, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, was, it was very nice. They just had a whole bunch of street furniture set up in a circle. Everybody just sat down and took their turn. Went round robin. It was really nice. You know. Did you find it therapeutic? Did that um, not really enter into it? You just felt good. Oh no, no, speak? no! It was incredibly therapeutic. It was also something I was discovering. I mean, I think I had, I had taken some creative writing in college and May Days and that. I was never really encouraged, but it was just sort of a means to an end for me. And I never really felt like I didn't think that this is something that I I should even do as a hobby. And when I started doing this in New York, it was like it was like this revelation to me in a way. I moved back to Alabama, which was a literal poetry desert. So <laughs> I found one open mic at a coffee house, and it turned out that it lasted six months until it disbanded and didn't relocate. And then I was in Mobile for five years without any place to go read. And I don't know, maybe there were places that I never found, but I don't know. But, um, you know, and then I moved to Maine, which is a mecca for poetry. So I'm, I was very, very happy to move here. You know, some poets write introspective, some write social criticism. You know, some have a, a particular issue, whether it be environment or war or nuclear power. Uh, did you find yourself writing to some repetitive themes, or do you just go where inspiration leads? Well, I'm, I do go where inspiration leads. It's hard for me to just sit down and decide to write without having something. I believe that I get triggered to write a lot of. Um, I do a lot of humorous poetry. Uh, I Thank do a lot God. Of, Thank God. Amen. <laughs> I've really gotten into the haikus in the last year, year and a half. As a matter of fact, I'm working on a book of haikus with photographs. I, mean, I call them Franco-coups. I, I Very was doing, good. doing a lot of them on, on um, Instagram for a while. 
and I'm going to restart that up on Instagram, but I have a whole collection of those, and I want to put together like a little postcard-sized coffee table book. And I'm also going to actually have a book with the word just like with um, Red or Green Books you know, by Marissa Prada coming out. Um, it's going to be um, called Everything I Think Is All In My Mind. It's going to be more of a mental health um, type of poetry collection, but it's it's going to have a lot of humorous stuff in there as well. Excellent. I, I'm a, a proponent of, of humorous poetry, and I, I like to think that I, I deal with serious, serious topics in a lighthearted and humorous way. I've always thought that my motto as a writer was to make people think and laugh at the same time. So I have a lot of sympathy with people that write in a humorous vein. So I salute you, sir. Hey, that's all we can do, right? Now, one other question I'd like to ask is there are grand social issues. There are personal issues. You know, poets often will will kind of mine the personal uh, and some will, you know, treat the, the national, the international, uh, the, the, should we say, the terrain of issues. Um, do you find yourself in working more in a personal vein or more uh, do you do some work in the social or critical you know movement type stuff very rarely do i go political or sometimes i think that within my personal poetry that you know you have social issues and sometimes i'll do something that attacks the social issue i mean like there have been um i was in anthology that is called love letters to gaia which is you know about about Earth and all that stuff. <laughs> the living universe, absolutely. I'm a big so, fan. <laughs> but I, when, when there when there are themed things and whether there whether it's an open mic or a contest or an anthology, I will do that. And you know, if I if something comes across my mind or I see see something that that triggers a poem about something, I will do it. You know. Uh, are uh, you? Are, you know, some of us will say we're a phrase poet, where they get a hook, they get a phrase, and then that grows into something. Or are you more of a visual a vignette person? You see a kind of an issue, or you see a situation, and you, you write from that. C can you make a dichotomy like that? Are you do you are you the phrase builder, or are you a you know kind of holistic approach? I would say I'm more number two. I'm more the whole the whole thing. You know, most poems to me come in one fell swoop. Of course, you know, I tweet and stuff like that afterwards. But tree for me hits me like a ball or like a boss or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it works for me. I, I you know, one thing is sometimes just seeing something will trigger me into writing a whole poem about something out of the blue. It's just really wonderful. cool. Let me ask you this. You know, a, a lot of times poets are asked about what poets inspired them. I, I like to turn that the other way and say, what what novelists, what other authors, in addition, besides poetry, what other authors were important for you? I'm not the most well-read person in the world. Um, Doesn't matter. Feel um, authors. I, I, if it's not I, relevant, I get, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No, I, I, get I get influenced by a lot of songs and a lot of movies and um you know, I think that a lot of the short stories and thing, humorous things that I read in the past of my life have influenced a lot of my style. You know, I think that I I can look at things and say, hey, this make this makes me think of something from when I was younger. I studied this or whatever, but I'm 
you know, I don't have a lot of direct influences. I, I do. I'm now discovering a lot of new people that people tell me to read. So. Well, I, I had kind of a funny launch of my performing poetry career. Um, I had felt that uh, poetry was, you know, since it's so widely disparaged in, in American culture, uh, I had set my poetry aside and I would hand it to a young lady uh, uh, and, and, you know, discuss some emotional relationship. But I never really did any public performance until I caught wind of Jim Morrison and the Doors and his, his what I thought of as very dramatic uh, poetry. And I was so inspired. My friends and I would do guerrilla street theater. I would climb into a grocery cart and they would push me through a mall while I orated Jim Morrison. When the still sea conspires in armor. <laughs> Do you think I could get away with that at 54 years old? Well, you know, I think we live in a different time, uh, surely. Surely. Uh, you might be able to do it in a public park. I think in a mall they would haul you away, I'm afraid, these days. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a, you know, I mean, you were around for some of the 70s, I'm sure, and it was an exciting time. I 70s. was... I was a child of the 70s. Okay, so. well then, let's say the 80s and 90s. Yes. Uh, still a little different time than the, those wild and crazy uh, 70s. But uh, that all being said, listen, we've talked around it, we've talked about it, but we haven't heard any of Generalissimo Franco's verses. General, lay it on us, buddy. Okay. I'm going to start with a brand new haiku that I recently wrote called Poets Lament. I'm not doing a lot of haikus. I'm just going to do this one, I think. Hey. Poets Lament. I shall bear my soul with words and tattered nerves so my voice can be seen. And this is a bit of an older poem, but it just recently got accepted and published in a, an anthology in Australia called Globalization. It's called Survival of the Thinkers. I come from a place where selfishness is synonymous with survival. It is not uncommon for me to traverse needing snow when getting out of bed on sweltering summer days. And despite that I am numb knee to ankle, the soles of my feet burn from scorching summer sand. There are people who claim to feel no pain when walking barefoot over hot coals. Welcome to the world of mind over matter where people feel no pain, but their feet are bloodied and blistered. I come from a place where selfishness is synonymous with survival, where success cannot happen without sacrifice. I come from a place called Earth, a giant ball of dirt, stone, water, and gases littered with plants and animals. Amongst the animals is a creature called human, unlike the rest who simply survive. Humans think. Humans reason. Humans justify. There are over 7 billion humans scurrying about trying to find their place on this place called Earth. If one of these thinking, reasoning, justifying creatures truly found its place, it could stay put. But we all have to move to get out of bed. Very nice. Um, very nice. Thank you very much. Um, and this is a, a little narrative piece that's going to be in an Irish anthology called the Same Page Anthology. And it's called One More Reason Charlotte Regretted Not Having Daughters. <laughs> Charlotte's boys built a snowman while she cooked her famous pineapple white chocolate snow day flapjack. As the kids 
smothered maple cardamom coconut cream on the jacks. She noticed a band of fuchsia on the snowman. She layered up in long johns, fleece wet ski socks, and vinyl knee-high snow boots. Charlotte tromped through post-blizzard snow to discover her $250 designer cashmere scarf on the snowman. The water damage was irreparable, according to the dry cleaner. After the snow melted, she handed her eldest son a spade to dig a grave. She had her youngest son play taps on a kazoo, while the middle son recited the Lord is my shepherd in its entirety. The cashmere scarf was buried in a Havanista cedar cigar box coffin. For, for posterity, her husband videotaped the only funeral for a scarf in modern history. During the ceremony, Charlotte drank from a goblet filled with farm fresh apple cider she secretly wished was rum. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Um, How about a couple um, more, my friend? Okay. Let me uh, read this silly piece, which is going to be in the Nonsense Burst Anthology, which is done by the Moonstone Arts Center in Philadelphia. Uh, why I am medically incapable of writing haikus. The monster that resides under my bed came to surface after a dinner party with a family of drunken dust bunnies. As I slept, he inserted a hypodermic into a vial of propofol and shot me just below my right shoulder. He next pulled out a purple sharpie and wrote lullaby on my right cheek and goodnight on my left cheek. He proceeded to carefully wrap the sharpie in my right hand as if I wrote the message myself, but he didn't know I was left-handed. The monster shaved my head, grabbed a stethoscope, placed its listener on my skull, tapped around till he heard a noise that made him giggle, marked the spot with a red X, pulled out a power drill, drilled a one-and-an-eighth-inch titanium bit into my skull, then inserted a stainless steel straw, slurped loudly, and yelled, Yum, yum, I love to take the haku at sunrise. When I woke, I was bald, and there seemed to be a scab made of drywall spackle northwest of my left ear. Although I have never seen the monster, I know he exists, despite what the people who put me in the straitjacket said. And... Very nice. Um, thank you. Um, this piece is called The Afterlife of a Tear. Every tear I cry tears a hole in my brain to reserve a place from a memory to reside. Sometimes certain memories decide to burrow a little further than the others. So when they get remembered, they have to be triggered. Sometimes someone will commit a crime against me I forgot I had previously experienced. And I see the previous perpetrator's face and the current perpetrator's face which might make me scream loud enough to make him or her deaf. There are memories we want to remember forever. There are memories not consequential enough to keep forever. Then there are memories that hide away in their burrowed holes that leave permanent residue in our souls. Very nice. Thank you very much. Is there time for one more? Sure, absolutely. Okay. I have to decide. Um, so this was, um, I, I wrote this as a, a reaction to the um, Denver supermarket shooting called <coughs> The Fate of Marshmallow Esmore. Dear next door neighbor, I want to apologize for having a craving for chocolate milk and Vienna fingers. Vienna fingers are the ultimate in vanillaness and are truly a delicious cook. I want to apologize that I was in the middle of placing my ATM card in the self-serve checkout and a bullet from an AR-15 pierced the spot where my neck meets my back. I don't think the young man who looked 10 years older than his supposed 21 years was aiming at me or anyone specific. He did manage to survive by surrendering. I want to apologize for the questions the press will ask you when they learn my name and address. After shootings at neighborhood stores, Victims' neighbors always get interviewed. By the way, my dog, Marshmallow S. Moore, would appreciate if you took him in. 
He loves you like a second father. When they ask you about me, I want you to tell them about the time I grilled baby octopus, baby bok choy, and Japanese eggs, and you brought over your famous amazing potato salad with English peas and ginger dressing. I want you to tell them about the time I made you gizzard stew with coconut milk, curry leaf, lime zest, cheese bread. You gave it a five-star Yelp review. I want you to tell them that I shared herbs and veggies from my garden every year with neighbors. I want you to tell them I wouldn't want to be remembered for being shot at a grocery store. I want to apologize for not having written this letter and making sure you cook marshmallow if anything happened to me. How many times did you threaten to dog nap him and run off to Canada? It is rare in today's world when someone finds a neighbor that becomes a neighbor in the true sense of the word. Also, if you want to say nothing when they knock on your door, it's okay. I would like to ask you to tell my brother how much you love marshmallow and that he stayed at your house for free when I went out of town. I want him to know I consider you more than a neighbor or friend. Consider you family. Wow. Very good, sir. Strong. Thank you very much. Well, sir, I want to thank you so much. And I want to offer you this one little poem of mine in a, in a sort of thank you. Uh, it's called The Little Crab. Little Crab, A Defense of Mankind. How do you conjure this epic between this tiny, hard thing, scrambling, shaking his clumsy defiance against the limitless, implacable sea how we must root for this tiny defiant spirit undaunted by his inexhaustible foe how like mankind this tiny mismatched crab just like man facing eternity now that made me smile that's lovely good good my friend thank you so very much for your time so watch this space for more good poetry from the generalissimo franco Oh, wait, that's right, that's right. What inspired you to take on Henrylissimo Franco as a stage name? When I moved to Portland, Maine, so there were actually five readings, maybe a, a two, two monthlies, two weeklies, and a bi-monthly or something like that. It was an amazing city to come to that had poetry, and there were a lot of younger poets that had these almost rapper-sounding stage names. And I kind of dug the stage names, but I knew that I couldn't have something like that. Actually, I had a first stage name that was Matzo Ball Soup. <laughs> because I'm Jewish. It's a long story. Then somehow uh, it, it, it transformed into journalism, which is a bit of a joke because I am sort of the opposite of what a dictator is. It's something that I can never be. So I think that that's poetic in its own right. So, but. Absolutely. One of my pen names was Steel, S-T-E-E-L, Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, simply because I am pro-peace, and the Zen principle is you talk the opposite. So Steel Warren is, I'm really about peace. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I Thank God I remembered to ask you that. My friend, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for the opportunity, sir. Okay. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Misha, what do you think, buddy? Some pretty good stuff. Well, I think that this historical dimension I was thinking about, I was, sorry, I was telling about at the beginning, confirmed completely, then again, you were very much right about the narrative dimensions of his poetics and which uh, fulfills the very complex dimension of it. But in the same time, I would mention something that, it, that I think it belongs to the very essence 
the very core of his, uh, uh, of his creation. It is something that belongs only to him, and I think, therefore, he called himself Generalissimo, the holistic dimension, the, uh, the tendency of uh, comprising in one poem the whole possible dimensions of the happening that get, that get to it. I was so passionately listening to it, and uh, uh, I think I recognized this in each of the poems he read. A wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, choice, a wonderful selection for this evening, which completely uh, and very convincingly fulfills the first one. I am looking forward to the third one, which actually is the most, let's say, picturesque to, <coughs> sorry, uh, of this evening, and which fulfills in a very original way the two first of them to Gobinda with this one. The, one of the interesting aspects of our interview with uh, Gobinda, we had some technical problems uh, during the uh, studio recording. So to make sure that we could get the best possible quality, what we ended up doing is I took my recording, he took his recording, and uh, I used them both to bring together a final recorded interview that had the best of both, uh, both sides. And uh, it, it's a much better presentation than, than my original recording because you know, let's face it, we're recording someone who's literally on the other side of the globe from us, dependent on a lot of internet circuitry, a lot of software. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it just doesn't. Well, you've, you've uh, talked to uh, Gobinda Biswas before. You've been on some of his projects. Uh, Gobinda is a not just a poet, but an international producer of poetry. Um, you've heard his work before? Yes, I heard his work before, and uh, initially I was surprised that he uses uh, very common, very uh, general symbols and uh, uh, elements of uh, international, of universal poetry, but the way he's preparing them, the way he's transforming them into metaphors is strongly original and, uh, and uh, belongs to his strong personality and I think this is also one of the main reasons he transformed himself into a universal global personality therefore he calls he calls himself Gobinda goes global well thank you so much for your insight my my friend let's give a listen to Mr. Gobinda Biswas Gobinda global here we go Namaste, my brother. Namaste. Mr. Govinda Biswas, poet, international producer of poets, global artist. Welcome to Poets of the East. Thank you. Thank you. First and foremost, welcome. It's such an honor to have a great poet and producer like yourself with us. Uh, I, I want to ask you, when did you start writing, sir? When did you get bit by the writing bug? Were you just a little one? Were you a teenager, a young man in college? 
When did you start writing? Uh, okay, sir. Uh, sir, when I was a student in my high school life, I started composing English poems. And my teachers always inspired me to compose poems. Then there was a long gap for the survival of life. Till I could manage a job. And then for the last eight years, for the last eight years, I have been composing poems, sir. Wonderful. Next thing I want to tell you is, now, to me, being a poet is complication enough. But you're that extra kind of poet. You're that poet that says, it's not enough that I write, but you want to bring other people together. You want to help other people get their word out. What, what is it that you feel is important and worth the trouble to, to bring poets together across the globe? Sir, I think that uh, poets, all the poets all over the world can establish a peace. The world is now written with violence, impeace, unhappiness, hatred, etc., etc. I think if all the poets are encouraged to something creative, they can establish peace. For this reason, I always inspire the poets to write something. Thank you, sir. So, so why do you bring poets together? It's, it's a lot of work. Believe me, I know. It's a lot of work to bring poets together. Why, why do you do that? Why is this important? And, sir, I think that, as I have told you earlier, that at present there are 195 countries across the world. There are so many diversities of cultures, languages, religions, etc., etc. And the world is now vulcanized. You mean vulcanized. That means granular disintegration. When one man wants to travel in a country, he or she needs passport or visa etc etc but in our own country when i travel there we don't need passport or visa so i think that if all the people can travel everywhere without any passport or visa it would be very good and i think if there be one nation that is one nation one nation and all the people across the world can travel without any barrier i deem a world free from hatred injustice tyranny violence and darkness and a world based on equality, liberty, and fraternity. I also deem a smiling sunny world where all the people will get food, clothing, and shelter as well as health and education. Above all, I think that all the people across the world are my near and dear ones because we all are our great grandparents, Adam and Eve. So, this is my philosophy of life that that is called in Indian uh, philosophy that is Bosunahiva Kutumbukam. That means all the people are my near and dear ones, all people are my relatives. If it is established that we all are relatives, if there is a feeling we all are relatives, there will prevail peace and happiness. And always in my poems, I try to establish this. Thank you, my dear Richard, sir. Challenges, challenges. Uh, sir, there are so many challenges. While 
I am organizing the festivals. Sir, I think that uh, poets, all the poets, all over the world, can establish a peace. The world is now ridden with violence, impeace, happiness, hatred, etc., etc. I think if all the poets are to something creative, they can establish peace. But I always are the poet to write something. Thank you, sir. I have to work hard for many days. There are so many poets of many countries, many cultures, many mindsets. And above all, I have to know something of the technical paper, the technical matter. And I always want that when I am hosting the poetry festivals or when I am meeting together with all the poets across the world, I always want there should be a happy ending and so that all of the poets across the world know each other. The poets uh, know each other's cultures, religions, etc., etc. And I think through this, there would create a universal brotherhood. And in the long run, I think there will establish the heavenly kingdom on this blue planet, which was desired by kind Lord Christ. Thank you, sir. There are so many poets of many countries, many mindset. Above all, I have to know something that technical paper, technical And I always want that when I am hosting the poetry festivals or when I am meeting together with all the poets across the world, I always want there should be a happy ending and so that poets across the world know each other, the poets, uh, each other's cultures, religions, etc., etc. And I think there would create a universal brotherhood and in the long run, I think there will establish the um, on the who is desired by kind. Thank you, sir. Now, we have talked a little bit about yourself when you started writing. We've talked a little bit about you know, your, your effort to bring people together, bringing poets together, which I think is so, so honorable, so wonderful. Uh, when I join you on your broadcast, there's been poets from the whole globe. How wonderful, how wonderful for anyone to just participate. But you, sir, are doing the great effort of bringing them together. You're the one bringing them together, and that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. So, we know now that you're that kind of wonderful artist. Why don't you tell us a few of your poems? My poetry. After you. Go ahead, read some of your poetry. And uh, now I want to say that for the last eight years, I have composed 475 English poems. And I have, <laughs> thank you, sir. And I have published four books. This is my book of English poems. The Sun and... The subtitle is Exodus Home to Moses the Messiah. And this is my book of English poems, the universal poem. The subtitle is World Peace, Mahatma Gandhi. Published in Kolkata in 2017. The third book of English poems, the eternal published in New Delhi. SBN institution and it has 
and 10 poems. Answer, this is my book of English poems. It was published in 2020, and it was in India. Now I am reading a few poems from my... My poetry. Uh, my poetry. Okay. Yes, now I am reading a few of my poetry now. Okay, sir. Okay, sir. And uh, now I want to say that for the last eight years, I have composed 475 English poems. And I have published... <laughs> thank you, sir. And I have published uh, four books. This is my first book of English poems, The Sunny Poems. And the subtitle is Exodus Homage uh, to Moses the Messiah. And this is my second book of English poems, The Universal Poems. And the subtitle is World Peace, Homage to Mahatma Gandhi. These two books are published in Kolkata in 2016 and 17. And this is my third book of English poems, The Eternal Poems. It was published in New Delhi, and it has ISBN institution, and it has 110 poems. Answer, this is my fourth book of English poems. It was published in 2020, and it was published in New Delhi, India. Now I am reading a few poems from my first book of poems. Poem, poem number 28, I am jolly speaking. In this poem, I have tried my best to draw the very picture that in all the people, wherever he or she lives, there is some light. A man may be criminal, a man may be antisocial, or a man may be whatever he or she may be. Very bad, very worst, but I think there is some light within him or her. I am reading. The poem is, the poem is, I am jolly speaking. I am jolly speaking. Mr. Sir, am I audible? Yes, sir. I am jolly speaking to all the people present in front of me, I imagine. You are from the lands of Mandela to Martin Luther King, Gandhi to Hosimin, you are my cousin. You are Attila, the annihilator for ages. You turned all into wheels on your way, but there was not all of darkness within you. Childhood human task could change you you had a ray. You might be Hitler, Mussolini, or Stalin. Even you might be Truman, the atom dropper. They are the creation of society and situations. Things turn otherwise. They might be angel or peace copper. You might be Guevara, Castro, Lenin, or Zedong. You all are believers in armed rebellion. Your bloodstained path attracted many most aspiring, but within themselves was a dove and the music of Adion. You are Suharto, Paul Ford, or any cruel dictator, the causes of the reverse of tears and bloodshed. Even there was the inner flow of true empathy. If nation building and character molding were of A grade, you are John O'Leary or Bhelupillai Tuvakaran from two separate hemispheres. You desired for your people happy dreamlands. You caused miseries to many for hostile atmospheres. No darkness is ultimate. Even it is of dark at night, there is a faint light 
दो हार्डली परसेप्टेड कॉन्साइन लाइज इन कैमोफ्लेस बिहाइंड ऑल क्वेलिटीज ऑल सेटांस विल बी गॉड इफ टूली एडुकेटेड दैट ऑल ऑफ द पोयम माय डियर सर थैंक यू सर थैंक यू सर नेक्स्ट अनदर पोयम फ्रॉम दिस बुक The name of the poem is the Christ of Aleppo. Sir, we know that uh, two years ago, while the civil war was going on in Syria, in Syria, a civil war was going on. Many many men were killed. Then a very little child, whose name was Umran, very little child, whose name was Imran, was severely wounded. And what? But what did he pray? But what did he pray? I have written in this poem, the Christ of Aleppo, the Christ of Aleppo. Aleppo is a town in Syria. The Christ of Aleppo. The Son of God was born in Bethlehem. Then social and political chaos prevailed in Palestine. Omran, he was the child, the son of Aleppo. But pathless, the pathless were fearers. Stand your land, so incarnadine. The Romans and the Pharisees were crushing Israel. The soul of Christ, Christ for the people, so innocent. Imran, he all were the sandwiches between the enemies. Your heart wanted a smoky blue firmament. Christ had no grievance. Against them at all, he said, "Hear the sin, not the sinners." Omran, you are not against any man, only against ammunition, bombs, and gunfire. The cruel Pharisees and soldiers crucified Lord Jesus. Silently, he put up with the unbearable pain. Omran. The enemies of home and abroad dropped bombs. Home demolished, wounded you, had no good Samaritan. The Nazarene prayed, "O oh, Father, pardon them. They do not know who are they are doing now." Omran, you to call the Almighty and say, "Let the darkness of their souls." be removed anyhow the messiah did not cast them at all like others crucified on that day at calvary hill omran unlike others you got bewildered and dumb quietly you wiped out blood from nose head and body the great pardoner said let there be light Let them be baptized with the light of my soul, Omran. You pardoned all the enemies of the people. You prayed, forget enmity, live peacefully on the whole. That's all of the poem, my dear friend. This is from my uh, third book. Um, the title is the Call of the Holy Book. we all know that there are so many religions hinduism islam christianity buddhism etc etc there are so many diversity 
the people of all the religions cannot live in peace but the holy books of the religion can live on our bookshelf reading the holy books you your holy books respect we are the gita the pitok bible or quran we are also the talmud and jendavesta we live side by our bookshelf without any kind of at all always we live in peace on your table outwardly we have some diversities but there is a true unity among us like you we may have some but our hearts are all it our heart nor you have entered our soul it is like the, the heavenly fruits work hard to have water so come to us activity and be it is so tragic everybody knows it we can do nothing we are just like the group of your constitution it is powerless without your to cooperation o followers followers souls not the body we cannot tolerate the loss or pain of the world we see the lamentation of the help children women and old not stop force get suffocated i still do it our hearts get lives are about to expire please stop the atrocities forever please stop bloodshed in our names if there is no man who will not exist now i repeat if there is who will not exist thank you sir thank you sir the holy people should live in peace if there is no man there will live no holy book no if there is people if there is human there is it is the message of the poem answer go ahead read we are human race we are one world we are one nation we are not the hindu muslim buddhist or christian now has broken out the horrible corona world war we must conquer the war anyhow very soon or oh dear we may be your friends we may be your enemies oh arjans don't gather or loiter here or there please stay home save life it is the motto of the hour we will follow lockdown save distance to save our neighbor we will wash our hands bathe with soap every day to keep the horrendous corona virus miles away if we have any cold cough sneeze or fever we will go to physician and keep ourselves proper if corona has infected us we won't kill time we will be quarantined in hospital and take medicine truly speaking <coughs> doctors are our efficient soldiers 
We want paid panic. They are that two healers. We will follow directions of doctors and governments. We will conquer. We will conquer. We will conquer hence. The sky is clouded. Darkness prevails everywhere. We are one. We are united. We will conquer. We will conquer. We fire. That's all of the poem, my dear friends. Wonderful. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Wonderful to see your smiling face again, sir. May your good work continue for a long time, sir. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. And, and sir, I always, sir, I pray to God that, oh, God, please keep our research, sir. Always keep and active like this. This sir, may uh, live 100 years. I pray to God for your longevity 100 years. And you, and you may organize a type of festival for long and long and long. Okay? Sir, may God bless you. May God bless you, sir. Thank you. Well, there we go. The uh, amazing Govinda Biswas wraps up today's poets. And I'm sure you'll join me in uh, congratulating these fine poets, Special K, uh, Generalissimo Franco, and finally Govinda Biswas. Any comments, my friends? Can we hear us each other? Yes, yes. Go ahead, sir. Wrap it up for well, us. I think it is just a confirmation of what we were saying before. It is the uh, spontaneity, the use of classical motifs, and their very original combination by uh, Gobinda Biswas, and uh, mainly about us people used to different uh, conventions, people used to different intellectual dimensions and combinations in completely different cultures and countries to understand more than this, to willing to understand the very original way of uh, compiling classical, uh, just as classical for them as for us, um, uh, values of the contemporary and classical culture as Gobinda Wiswas, Biswas does. That means only reading without participating his poems, it would get to nothing. But hearing them and trying to interpret them goes us, uh, leads us to a completely new interpretation of our own values. I'm very happy you invited him uh, to this uh, uh, very special session of poets of the East because he really is the East. He is the Orient. He is the very powerful uh, dimension of uh, the Orient, of understanding and interpreting the universal values of the culture, of the humanity, of the, uh, of the understanding and peace of the whole mankind. Well, my friend, I think you said it very well. 
And, you know, in a way, it's very interesting. He represents a very special part of the Far East, of the, the subcontinent, because he is as universal uh, a planetary human being as any of us. He really works to bring poets together from across the globe. So he is not just the East, but that ideal East that is not just a one portion of the continent, but literally uh, poets from all continents, from all places. And, you know, we have tried and I think done a good job of bringing poets from across the globe, every continent except Antarctica. So it's up to you and me, my friend. We need to find a poet scientist in Antarctica to give us to give us the full seven continent representation. <laughs> and with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up. I'm not up sure our... if I intervene in the right moment because the signal is quite weak here. It was a very global and first of all complete edition of the Poets of the East. Thank you very much, Rick. Thank you very much, Generalissimo Franco. Thank you very much, Spatial K and Gobinda Biswas, Biswas for, for, for proving that East really is the whole world and Poets of the East really represent the poetry of the whole universe. Thank you so much, my friend. We're going to go out on one of my favorite tunes, What You Gonna Do About Me. So here we go. Thanks so much, Misha. As always, a pure pleasure to be with you, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Here we go. What you gonna do about me?
so much for joining us. This has been Poets of the Year, Season 2, Episode 5, Jump into Jubilation. I'm your host, Rick Spizak, speaking for me and Misha, who uh, had a technical glitch. Talk to you next week. Thanks again. Bye-bye.